I'm middle-aged Garfield eating gluten-free lasagna. And I'm the Champs-Elysees. Nice pronunciation. I did take two years of French in college. (laughs) Welcome to Planet of the Meerkats Season 2 premiere, starting now. So today we're talking about the future, and I, you know, I've, I was actually giving this some thought, but uh, I've been watching a lot of Stargate SG One lately, and then we've been watching uh, Star Trek Enterprise. And in those shows, one of the common denominators is there are aliens. They are sexually compatible, and they're hot. If we encountered sexually compatible hot aliens, how fast would we would we have sex with them? Nearly instantaneous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who's to say that isn't already happening? (laughs) Speaking of aliens, you know, I saw earlier this week that the army released, you know, a grainy picture of this triangular shaped UFO. And is it just me or does no one care? Like, it's not even a new, (laughs) barely a news story. (laughs) My theory is that they're interdimensional aliens. I don't think they Mm -hmm. come from outer space. I think they come from a, a parallel dimension. Are we talking about the real ones or the hot ones? I don't know. Maybe they're the both. imaginary hot ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and interestingly, in one of Trump's in well, in Trump's only stimulus bill, there was a writer in there that specified that they were going to have to release a bunch of classified UFO documents. So oh. that should be coming in the next few years. So maybe we'll get to find out. Maybe the truth really will be out there, and we'll, we'll get to find out what it is. I'm looking forward to seeing some sexy aliens. I just saw the other day that Duchovny is like 60 now, somewhere around there. And, you know, every time I see these stories about celebrities being old, it just it's it's both depressing (laughs) and also a little bit not depressing because it's like, well, you know what? They're still pretty like active and fit. So, you know, we're going to be okay. Jillian Anderson, she's she's hotter than ever. I think, honestly, we've been uh, turning the the clock back on what 60 means. Mm hmm. I look back at my grandparents at 60 and they, they like, they seemed old, but I look at my parents in their sixties and they don't, you know? So Dave, why are we talking about what is, what was the, the impulse here for us to like talk about the future and to make it a season long theme? Well, I think uh, a lot, a lot of the things that we talk about on the side and a lot of the pro the subjects that we approach in the podcast anyways, really touch on the future and where humanity is going. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it's a really interesting topic because the pace of of growth and development has accelerated. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the future is going to be here sooner than we thought. We may not have had the flying cars of Back to the Future in 2015, but, you know, in 2035, I think things are going to look really different from where they are now. I think people imagine that change comes more holistically than it actually does. You know, there, it's a continuum, right? One thing that has animated us in our conversations is this idea that that things are better than they've ever been, mm-hmm. and that point gets lost. There are things that are really, really terrible and bad right now, but on the flip side, this, the progress worldwide has brought so many people out of poverty, so many scientific advances that have, that have just radically changed this world, and we, we lose sight of that a bit. So by looking at the future, I think we want to focus on some uh, speculative 
pursuits that kind of highlight why things are really interesting mm -hmm. and why things are going to get better. And what what better way to talk about that than the future of sex? Let's talk about sex. The first thing we thought about <laughs> was Star Trek. We thought about Star Trek and the holodeck because the holodeck is this sort of narrative device that all of the Star Trek series have used to explore love and sex in whatever time frame they're in. And for this discussion, we're going to have a special guest, my wife, who is an avid Star Trek fan. How's it going? It's going all right. How are you doing? Long time no Good. see. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast and oh. sharing your knowledge about this very important subject. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very important. So, Broman, you are a Star Trek aficionado. Sure. <laughs> I'm a fan. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I'd say I'm a aficionado. Oh, yeah, but, you are. Uh... Don't be modest. <laughs> so what was, I'm just curious, though, like, what was the, what was the moment when you got hooked on Star Trek? Oh, hooked on Star Trek. So growing up, the first time I watched Star Trek, we would order from Time Life, I think it was, the video cassettes of the original series. So they'd come oh. every month. So my dad liked Star Trek. So that was kind of how I got hooked. And uh, so every time the tapes come, we'd watch the show. And then living in Australia for the next generation, we were always it seemed like several seasons behind, so we would record them on our VHS because they were always on really late at night. Who's the sexiest cast member? Oh, wow. Okay. And you can go That's from any series. From from any series at all. Yeah. So, um, oh, goodness. I thought this would have been an easy Young you Picard. A but, Young Picard? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, not Young Picard, just Picard. Well, like. Yeah. <laughs> In general. Well, he's old now, but, you know. Oh, well, age is just a number, my, my friend. <laughs> you can be 70 plus and still be sexy, Dave. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I hope to be there someday. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't answer the question, though. Oh, did I say Picard? I'd say Picard, yeah. I okay. mean, I think they all have their, their moments, I think, so... Just the whole show can be pretty sexy, I suppose, sometimes. Come on. <laughs> you know it's Will Riker. Uh, he's all right, yeah. Well, actually, all right, I'm going to admit this. I had um, a poster in my room, oh, gosh, of all the Next Generation <laughs> characters, and they all had little bios by them, uh -huh. and Riker's hobby was women. So... <laughs> That is incredible. Yeah, that's that is great. <laughs> a great message right there. Yeah. <laughs> Were you also, you know, like when you're really into something and then you then like you're obsessed with it. So you have to then expand your interest and like consume everything else that those actors have been in. So when uh, Riker started doing those, um, well, what was that show he was on the like? Uh, Alien Autopsy? It, what was it? it was like the beyond, it was like no. the uh, beyond belief or something like, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I I think that might have been on before I moved to America, but I've seen videos like <laughs> all the intros of him. Um, would you believe all the uh, yeah, yeah. all that stuff? I know uh, Shatner did the nine one one show. Yep, and then Nimoy did In Search of, which I used to watch mm -hmm. all the time when I was younger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know it's not it's not really appropriate these days to embrace the sort of like slutty Halloween costume, but 
Did you ever dress like a slutty Star Trek character <laughs> for Halloween? Not a s- slutty, but when I first <laughs> moved to America at Target, I found a Star Trek Next Generation costume. So I did wear that a couple of times, but it was, yeah, and um, I wouldn't say it was <laughs> slutty at all. I don't think I could quite get myself think, to do that. But <laughs> I think Dave went as a slutty data once. Oh, okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> well, I think the the best Star Trek crossover was there was a, a commercial for long distance calling cards that featured a bunch of actors from the Next Generation, and I think also mm. the original series, like calling each other and laughing on the phone <laughs> uh, to illustrate this calling card. And we'll That's throw amazing. a link up to that commercial because it's fantastic. We're going to explore the holodeck, and Ooh. Dave has assembled. The sexy a list of the, uh, the the best and worst holodeck episodes that are themed around sex. Ah, okay. So, Dave, I looked at this list and there were some that I really enjoyed that you put in the worst or meh category. So <laughs> this might get a this might get a little heated, but kick kick it off. I think the we can all agree that the worst one is is this one with Riker. Yeah, it's called one one zero zero one zero zero one. Which I looked it up. That's binary for a capital E with like an acute accent. So I don't think there's any hidden meaning in the title. <laughs> and I'm going to show my dorkiness here because the I think Minuet was the character. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there is a future episode where they call back to that where there's an alien who's pretending to be Riker's son and kind of creates a – it isn't a ho- – well, I guess it sort of is a holiday. They're gaslighting sort of. him. Yeah, into thinking he was like older and, and yeah, yeah, and but when they showed this is what your wife looked like, they're pulling from his memories and they pulled uh, the holiday character, so that's how he knew it wasn't real. <laughs> oh uh, yes, 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 I know which episode you're talking about. But, yeah, but she she was very uh, cringy. Like well, basically, like the whole that whole setup is cringy because Riker goes in the holodeck and creates this 1960s jazz bar sort of setup, right? And he's like the <laughs> the jazz trombonist. And basically, they, the holodeck fills the bar with people. And then he's like, too many people. And then they go away. And it's just like, <laughs> then he like, he like, basically, does he ask it to, to, to create a sexy woman? And then it's like, the woman's not sexy enough. So Riker is just like <laughs> directing how to make this woman sexier. And it's like totally cringy. He's like, bigger tatas. <laughs> yeah. <it's> like, <laughs> But, but so, the cringe isn't just isn't just uh, reserved for Riker though. There's some Janeway cringe also. So we watched this episode pretty recently. It's called Fairhaven, and the Voyager crew puts together this kind of long, long-running holodeck program of an Irish, Irish town, like mm-hmm. this quaint Irish town in the 19th century, and they all visit it and sort of act like this is a real place. And she falls in love with the bar- bartender who has a uh, a wife and. He's charming, but he's not very well educated. So she erases his wife and gives him all this knowledge about all the stuff she likes <laughs> and uh, makes him the, basically the perfect the perfect guy. But the uh, in order to keep the program running, Harry almost lets the ship be destroyed. Yeah, she can't hook up with any of her crew members, so she's going <laughs> to get it somewhere. I think that's kind of the message the Doctor gives her in that episode is that, well, maybe it's not such a bad thing. Well... <laughs> I mean, and so, you know, the difference between them and some of the other crews is the other crews are like visiting other parts of the Federation and they're seeing other ships and 
so even the captain has the opportunity to like get their freak on with people who <laughs> there aren't direct subordinates. But Janeway is either you know it's either aliens or nothing, or or the holodeck. And I think I would have I would have gone with the holodeck too. Remember that time that her and uh, Chakotay like crash landed on that planet, and then they thought everyone was gonna that they would be lost forever, and they like yeah. created this little idyllic life, and they were about to hook up, and then all of a sudden the ship came back. <laughs> that like, was like the closest she ever got to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, she did get closer because she went past warp ten with Tom Paris. And oh, uh, yeah, they became right. lizards and had babies. And somewhere out <laughs> in the Delta Quadrant, there's a, a planet being populated by uh, Tom Paris, Janeway lizard babies. Does that count? If I mean, like salamander sex is a little bit different than human sex. <laughs> I, I don't know if, if that's the same thing. Yeah, it depends where you're going on this episode. So, <laughs> so, so Neil, did you agree with my worst uh, designation for 11001001 and Fairhaven? Yeah, you know, and you know why? Because I think Riker in general is the most cringy character. Riker is this, I, I think, throwback to sort of this classic misogynistic male, and mm-hmm. so that episode is just a, kind of an encapsulation of of that archetype. And then Fairhaven, I think, definitely it plays around with this idea of being able to sort of program your ideal mate, and so I think that has implications for things we want to talk about later in this episode. But I think the the parts about it that kind of like I found cringy is that to her she she like has to make him smarter, like <laughs> she. <laughs> it's kind of like this classist sort of thing that you know they're always either like in the Renaissance or they're in Ireland and and they're obsessed with this time, but yet it's like the people in it are a lower class because they're not as smart. So, so question. She also has a long-running holodeck program with Leonardo da Vinci. Mm-hmm. Do you think she was boning Leo? I hope so. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's a missed opportunity if you're not. <laughs> There's his secret notebooks with sex toys that we didn't ever find out about. <laughs> the two things in the in the meta category, I actually really i I liked Alter Ego which is an okay. episode where Tuvok and Harry fight over this holodeck woman and. I just think it's funny that this woman is an alien consciousness who uploads herself to the computer. And I like that she plays them. There's this idea that they just kind of, you know, totally get snowed in this process. And then in someone to watch over me where, uh, wait, nope, that's the wrong one. Human error where seven learns to be more human by romancing Chakotay. I, I just like that one. I thought that one. I hadn't seen that before and I watched it this week and it was one of the one of the sexier episodes I've ever seen of this show. So I liked it. I got to say Jerry Ryan, uh, in addition to being, you know, hot is actually proved herself to be a pretty darn good actress on Voyager. Mm-hmm. She got short shrifted by the, the, the ads, I think in the, the marketing for the show. Emily is like, every time I'm watching Voyager, she's like, why can't that woman just wear like a regular outfit? Why do they have to have her wearing? <laughs> she's basically wearing body paint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the fact that they bought her back for Picard and less body paint on that, she's uh, kind of this tough rogue character. Mm. I mean, I think that says a lot for her character as well. So one of the things Voyager had was like, it was like a non-specific beach area that they would Mm. always go to and it was populated by like beautiful young people Mm -hmm. um 
And I always thought it was interesting because all the beautiful young people there are straight up just regular humans. Mm -hmm. And if you have this catalog of alien species that are essentially humanoid, like mm -hmm. wouldn't you add in a couple of, you know, maybe non-humans? Throw up some some hot Bajorans or maybe a, a sexy Klingon or something just to spice that area up. Let's talk about the best episodes here. This is where Brahman really needs to come in and 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 help us to, <laughs> to sort this out. Uh, we've got the Deep Space Nine episode where Odo uses the holodeck to figure out how to woo Kira. Um, yeah. That uh, one so was really good. Can we have spoilers? Can I talk yeah, spoilers? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay yeah. I guess it's been longer since Deep Space Nine has been out. But uh, so the big twist at the end being that they swap out Holo Kira with real Kira and Odo thinks that the holodeck Kira is that thinks she's the holodeck character, but it's the real Kira. Mm -hmm. So and he's um, all like confident and smooth. Yeah. Cause he thinks she's a holo. What do you character. think about the ethics of that? Oh yeah. That's a little, yeah. Hollow Frank Sinatra pulls, pulls like a yeah. little bit of a. Yeah. Switcheroo there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think his in intentions are good, but yeah, that could have, uh, yeah, gone south really, really, <laughs> really quick. But I don't know. The way things were set up through the season, you knew those two were going to end up hooking up. So, mm -hmm. um, I, yeah, when I think of that, I think more of they have a big argument in, oh, like outside of Quarks and why don't you kiss me? Well, you go ahead and kiss me. I think I will. Okay. And then they kiss and, yeah, I don't know. It's cheesy, but. It's got to be weird to uh, kiss a shapeshifter. Yeah. That, well, they've had they had kind of scenes where she's like, "I want to know who you are," and he becomes like these sparkles in the air and surrounds her and all this stuff. So, yeah. My question is like, I mean, not to take anything away from from Odo's particular, you know, charm, but like, if you could be, if you could shapeshift into any form, why wouldn't you be like some crazy hot jacked dude and not Renee Odo? <laughs> <laughs> Although he was awesome, so yeah, yeah that's true. That's Rest true. In peace. Yeah. yeah, I take back that comment. I'll have to yeah. edit myself out. Um, <laughs> then we've got the this is this is probably the the best combo here, Dave. This one I'm going to leave to you because <laughs> like this is your sweet spot. Booby trap slash galaxy child from the next generation. So Jordy falls in. He, he's he's consulting with another engineer in Starfleet. And fall a holographic representation of her, and falls in love with her, uh, the hologram version of her. And then in the, the future episode, Galaxy Child, he actually meets the scientist in real life and is gets like way too familiar with her. Yeah, as they work. Oh, yeah, in the the holodeck one version, they kind of work together, and he's attracted to her. But then she shows up later on and goes into the holodeck and sees yeah. sees him with her version. And <laughs> Has a bit of well, a problem with that. And isn't, doesn't he, aren't there some issues because he doesn't, you know, he obviously doesn't disclose that he knows, <laughs> has gotten a little personal with her on the holodeck. And then beyond that, like he gets jealous because he feels like, you know, he, he wants to expect her to just kind of fawn over him and yeah. she doesn't. Well, it's kind of going back to to that worst episode in Fairhaven where it's like, <laughs> it's he's my ideal sort of and yeah. kind of like let me make her or him the way that I want them to be. But then, the, like I said, there isn't a reality version in Fairhaven, but yeah. in the Next Generation one, there's uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> Which I just got to say, you know, Jordy, he didn't have any game. And I feel it's bad true. for him because he was an awesome guy. He had less game than Data did. Because I feel like Data <laughs> actually like does pretty well. Um, yeah. There's a whole episode about him exper- kind of experimenting. There's a woman who's interested in him. And he's like, oh, yeah, all right. Let me program in some like uh, romantic language and actions and stuff. And he hooks up with Yah. It's Tasha Yah in yeah. the season two. So, yeah. Oh, man, I don't even remember that. Oh, yeah. He's functional in all methods <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> So this episode of majority to me is like the sort of the the most realistic of like how in in our near future as we start to do more uh venturing into VR romance and sex like how this could get complicated because you can imagine people say you had the ability to take someone's likeness off of Facebook right and like put it in VR and then have your own <laughs> fantasies then imagine having to like see that person in real life. I don't feel like we're too far off from from a ethical scenario like this. Well, imagine like working with someone and knowing that that you know in all likelihood they essentially have a virtual sexy version of you that they're going home <laughs> and, and doing every night. It's going to get complicated, man. So uh, uh, there's there's two more on this list. One is the doctor. No, it's three more on this list. So we've got real real life where the doctor creates a fake family and a fake wife who are perfect. And Bellana Torres fucks it all up. <laughs> By making them realistic. <laughs> Turns out that people are complicated. Yeah, I think complicated. I wouldn't say they're assholes. As well. <laughs> in my description, I wrote they are all assholes. assholes. But, but yeah, I think complicated is a better word. And then in, and, in the episode then, Hollow Pursuits, yeah. Dave, explain this one. Bar- Barkley creates a version of the ship where he's the alpha is the object of desire for the female crew. And he's taller than all of the guys. Uh, he gets addicted to it and has to be weaned off. <laughs> yeah. And they kind of talk uh, kind of what you were mentioning, Neil, about um, the ethical dilemma. So, yeah, Barkley, he's got a uh, avatar or a holodeck of uh, Deanna Troy. And then he's asked to have an appointment with Deanna Troy kind of addressing his anxiety. So he's speaking with the real one, but it's just so uncomfortable because he's used to being able to go into the holodeck and she's all coming on to him. But, yeah, just (laughs) kind of demonstrating that ethical, well, not just ethical dilemma, but that situation of, wait, I... (laughs) (laughs) Awkward. (laughs) Well, Broccoli, I mean, Barkley, he... um... He had lots of interesting uh, subplots because he was sort of the the consummate person with no confidence and no social skills, even more so than than Jordy. <laughs> and he had that episode where he got sort of imbued with this sort of god quality by these aliens, and he kind of got addicted to that power as well. Well, and then he does he does the thing again with Voyager because he's trying to get them back. And so he creates what he thinks the Voyager crew is like, <laughs> and he's like their best friend and he's like using him to solve problems and stuff. And I think Neelix is a cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really yeah, yeah, yeah sex, he names but... his real cat Neelix, but then he goes into the holodeck and he spends the night there. Cause he's just more comfortable. And they're like, Hey, Reg, Hey buddy, can you help me with this problem and this problem. And yeah. I mean, if we're if we're going to rank problematic characters, he's up he's up at the top for sure. Well, I think he's a realistic character, though, right? In that, you know, this is probably the way someone in that situation would act. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
um and then we have the bonus episode it's not the holodeck per se but it was the episode unexpected in enterprise in trip he goes to an alien ship and is like chilling with an engineer over there solving problems and they sort of start to sort of get romantic and they go into their version of the holodeck and have like a romantic date and he puts some his hand in some beads and she impregnates him so when he gets back, uh, he finds out that not only is he pregnant, but this baby is going to be born soon. But he's like so, really impregnated. Yeah. So they got to go yeah. find the oh, alien man. ship so they can uh, do it do it right. <laughs> I think they end oh. up transferring the baby out and sending it back. Or something. Yeah, but the other character that impregnates him creates kind of an yeah this romantic environment and the. They're in a boat in the middle of the ocean, and so, but it's kind of referencing, hey, there's this cool technology. So they try and pass off the holodeck as like, oh, we're going to do a Sherlock Holmes adventure, or mm -hmm. you know, we're going to do blah blah blah. And in reality, I think people would be using it for sex, like always. It yeah, would always have a sex component. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've seen Lower Decks, the Star Trek cartoon that's mm -hmm. come out. Oh, so, so they do make references to the holodeck, but one of the jokes in one episode is you don't want the duty of having to clean out the holodeck. Yeah. So that's kind of after, <laughs> like, clean out the vents and clean out because, you know, all sorts the, of stuff. The holodeck jizz mopper. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so we all know. you would you would basically just have hybrid things, right? So people would create these <laughs> adventures. You'd go back to, like, Robin Hood times, but then you'd also have sex. Like... It would just be that it would be part of the adventures. Like you probably wouldn't be like Riker where you would like cut right to the chase. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> most people like a little narrative and story there. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair to Riker, he, you know, he, he did woo her with his jazz performance. Mm -hmm. And then uh, with his bum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, a and little on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what would be what would be your number if you okay? I know your husband's sitting right next to you, but say you're on the holodeck and you go back in time, what historical figure are you hooking up with? Patrick Stewart. He's a, oh, it's gonna be Patrick figure. Stewart. <laughs> yep, it's yeah, all. I was say, it'd probably be Star Trek episodes. So <laughs> just kind awesome. of like, okay, who's That's the flavor awesome. of the month? Which okay, right? McCoy's looking pretty good, <laughs> young McCoy or uh... Carl Urban McCoy or DeForest yeah. Kelly McCoy or both. I mean, <laughs> yep, at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us to talk about Star Trek. Thank you. All right, David. Question for you. Yes. Are we at the precipice of a new sexual revolution? I kind of think so. The freedom to express yourself sexually has reemerged as something. I think we were almost getting into, you know, a more puritanical view of it at one point, you know, probably back in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And things have really swung the other way. And just the, the bro it's, it's broadened what sexual, it's broadened the mainstream view of what sexual relationships can be, you know, stuff mm -hmm. that is completely normal now was once viewed as being deviant and wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, and as societies are lifted out of poverty, they, they tend to have a start having less babies, right? You need fewer babies in order to 
sort of propagate your line and have it continue because it's more likely that your children are going to grow are going to grow up to adulthood. You no longer have to have eight kids to ensure that somebody's going to have kids themselves. You know, you can have one or two. And then with the advent of contraception, combined with that, you know, sex ends up becoming much more for recreation and much less for procreation. I think our society is bifurcated. Like we do still have this very puritanical wing of our society. And but on the flip side, you know, we've never been more adventurous, I think, with sex. And if you look like the internet, I think has just given people complete freedom to go in whatever direction they want to. Which and I think there's good and bad. Like I think there's a lot of yeah, I was just reading an article the other day uh, by Nicholas Kristoff. Mm-hmm. And he writes a lot about like some of these porn sites that get user uploads and how a lot of really wrong stuff gets uploaded there, you know, mm-hmm. actual rapes or mm-hmm. underage individuals get uploaded there. And it's really hard to get that stuff taken down because it'll get uploaded and re-uploaded and, you know, there's anonymous uploads. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really you have these huge corporations making money off of essentially, you know, child pornography and rape. And, you know, they're free sites anyone can go to. It also presents a, a warped view of sex. You know, how many kids are learning about sex, not from their parents or from sex ed now, but through some like really weird porn scenario or really unrealistic, essentially sex. It feels a little bit like we're out of control at the moment. We're at a point, and And I think one of the reasons why calling this a sexual revolution is appropriate is because we're we're at a point where... We are at kind of a precipice, right? We are, whatever is going to come next is going to be different. And I think we've seen a lot of that with COVID. It's changed the way people have had to relate to each other. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at, I think one thing we noticed, and this goes to your last point about societies changing as they become more prosperous. If you look at the the data, it shows that young people are having less sex than previous generations. And, and I guess my theory is that we just have a much more narrow definition of what sex is now Mm -hmm. and getting to, you know, talking about gaming and the internet and porn, there's just like a sort of an evolving and growing menu of the ways that people are consuming sex. And it's not always in the way that we think of it in these sort of narrow terms. Sex is virtual now in a lot of ways, and it's only going to grow more so. I thought it might be useful to, before we speculate on the future, to kind of look back at kind of where we've been. In ancient Sumeria, ancient Sumeria and ancient Egypt, there was like kind of proto-hedonism, mm-hmm. where pleasure was seen as the sole intrinsic good. Mm-hmm. And then in ancient Greece, you had Epicureanism, which is the pursuit of modest, sustainable pleasure. And then you get up to the Middle Ages, and just, you know, sex is sin. And it's, not, it's something that you do to have babies and then are ashamed about <laughs> essentially. So, you know, basically like the, the trend line there going down, down, down more conservative as the years go on. Mm-hmm. And then you have sort of in the enlightenment where they, there's really a challenge to the, the Christian conservative view of sex. Uh, mm-hmm. Promiscuity becomes much more common and accepted. I don't know about mm-hmm. common, but it becomes much more accepted. And then Puritanism, which I think has had a huge impact on the, the United States you know, thinking back to like the Scarlet Letter where Mm -hmm. Hester Prynne has an affair and has to be branded with the Scarlet Letter. And Mm -hmm. she's not branded. She has to sew it onto her clothes. But (laughs) 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 And, you know, is demonized for something and the guy gets off scot-free. 
And then, you know, you kind of have things swinging back and forth. You have the Roaring Twenties, and then you jump ahead to the feminist revolution of the 1960s and 70s. You have AIDS, which makes sex really perilous and is denied. The existence of it entirely is denied for a long time. And then it's, you know, the people that get it are demonized. You know, I remember seeing a video of Princess Diana, like shaking the hand of a guy with AIDS. And that was seen as like a really big deal because yeah. it's like, well, would she, would she get AIDS? And, you know, they obviously knew that she wouldn't, but there was just this huge fear of it because people didn't understand it. And then in the eighties and nineties, I think there was a real attempt to put a hamper on sort of mainstream sex. You know, we have the defense of marriage act in the nineties. And then uh, that all kind of got blown up in the two thousands when there was the increase in number of the number of states which allowed uh, gay marriage and then Gavin Newsom in defiance of the law in California started marrying same-sex couples which ended up uh, as a Supreme Court case and legalized gay, gay marriage all over the United States which is amazing because you think back and like there were still laws on the books in the 70s prohibiting gay sex so like prohibiting you know what you can do with an a an adult consenting partner in your own bedroom. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and it seems like there's always kind of an ebb and flow, right? You know, mm -hmm. as we have progress, there's there's ways in which there are attempts to kind of curtail or take rights away from people finding another sort of scapegoat. And I think now one of the things we're seeing is, you know, transgender rights. And that unfortunately is sort of the next frontier, figuring out how to make progress and, and get past move past these laws, which are just demonizing it and making it harder for people to, you know, have free sexual and romantic relationships like everybody else. Well, and it's heartbreaking because the people who really get stuck in the middle here are the, the kids who are trying to, you know, emerge and figure out who they are. And they're being, they're the ones being demonized and legislated against. And just want to mention the, the stupidity of abstinence only education in places where <laughs> that is taught, uh, there's an increase and, and, you know, it's often pushed by the same people who are anti-abortion and in the places where abstinence only education is taught, there are higher instances of unintended pregnancies and teen pregnancies. So, you know, in essence, it's increasing the demand for things like abortion. It's bad all around. And it's this utopian view of, oh, if we don't tell them about it, they won't do it, which is just yeah. totally unrealistic. People yeah. are going to, I mean, every society on earth has figured out a way to make alcohol, right? <laughs> yeah. If you put two people in a room together for long enough, they're going to figure out how to have sex, whether or not you <laughs> tell them how to. <laughs> and one of the ways that people learn how to have sex is through music. So let's talk about this playlist. There's some like, incredibly misogynistic songs uh <laughs> and yet somehow i mean they're still bangers so <laughs> the one that comes to mind which i think is one that we we've kind of uh you know this has been something we've we've listened to on and off for 20 years i think you you or i had this cd in the 90s that we you got, got it at, a christmas a gift party. at a christmas party yeah this ultimate white elephant uh big booty hose the notorious big <laughs> This is maybe the most terribly obscene song that's ever been created. <laughs> Which I would recommend everybody pop over to our Spotify playlist. And if you're not interested in any of the other stuff, listen to this song because 
it was both amazingly catchy and oh my goodness the most raunchy like nastiest thing you've ever heard <laughs> you know i put a couple of prince jams on here because prince i think built his career on on creating songs that were just like dripped sensuality and sexuality in such a beautiful way but this well, song the title the title is just this is going to come right out there it's called jack you off <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of these uh the titles are just they pretty much describe what the song is about we got do me by Belle devoe doing it by ll cool j shake your ass by mystical we got orgasmatic by the buzzcocks uh red light special by tlc these are not subtle songs <laughs> uh, <laughs> now now i just i don't think we could get away from this playlist without mentioning two live crew i remember oh, their, yeah, yeah. their heyday was like when we were in junior high uh-huh and you know they got embroiled in free speech cases and they got arrested and their songs are terrible really but they're extremely lewd in a way that i don't think anybody had really heard it was you know straight up nasty <laughs> but it's amazing how quickly like like there was a, there was that uproar and then 10 years later you've got like how many licks by little kim and cisco which you know is a, a pretty <laughs> raunchy song and was just normal you know so i like or it's wap wap yeah. uh, <laughs> you know you see that being discussed in prime time on like cnn and fox news <laughs> which is actually like an amazing to have two female artists be able to openly talk about sex in a song and have it just be mainstream is, I think, a marker of how far we've come. Well, and then, of course, there is Baby Got Back. And I think I have uh -huh. the Jonathan Colton version on here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember the first time I heard Baby Got Back, I was sitting in the back, the back seat of my parents' car and they were listening to Rush Limbaugh. And he was talking about how like horrible and evil the song was, and he played it. And I'm in the back, kind of like, oh yeah, this is a good song. You're like you were into it. Yeah. <laughs> so th thank you, Rush Limbaugh, for the first the first uh, uh, playthrough of Baby Got Back. Now we're both gonna try to like you know walk back our our at one time our fandom of this song, Nookie by Limp Bizkit. Oh man! But it was a different time. Look, it was the late '90s. <laughs> we were in high school. We didn't know anything. So it's been years since I've listened to this song, but you said it was still terrible. Yes. <laughs> We've also got all, uh, Adidas by Korn, which we should throw out there. Which, which, which is, in this case, is an acronym for All Day I Dream About Sex, which, I mean, that's pretty creative. All right, Dave, let's start the speculation part of this where we talk about where things are going. I feel like porn's going to become increasingly normalized. I don't know if yeah. that's a good or a bad thing. It's really hard to legislate it, right? There's obviously things that you need to curb in, you know, revenge porn, child porn. But at the same time, like the the legislation tends to have the opposite of its intended effect. It's sort of like prohibition with alcohol. Yeah. It shoves it underground, but it doesn't make it go away. But a lot of times the people legislating this stuff and prosecuting sex crimes, they become the perpetrators. I mean, the most recent example is Matt Gates, who um, was you know, a huge proponent of the Pizzagate slash child <laughs> sex trafficking alleged scheme that was going on amongst Democrats, that he said was going on amongst Democrats without proof. Uh, and then turns out, oh, hey, he was uh, soliciting sex from minors. <laughs> and then Elliot Spitzer, who was like this huge, huge figure in uh, the fight against prost illegal prostitution. And hey, it turns out that he was using prostitutes. <laughs> and you have to wonder, like, is there, when you get close to these things 
in order to legislate and control them? Do they end up pulling you in? Or is it just, you know, compensating for one's own shortfalls? People are fallible and people should avoid grandstanding because you you get caught in these situations, but politicians and, and uh, egomaniacs can't help themselves. Mm-hmm. So I think these guys, you know, get caught up in their their political futures. They think they can, you know, score points by taking these stands, but they also are you know, they're so arrogant that they think they'll never get caught. <laughs> so it's just like acknowledging human nature, like people are going to do shady stuff. Like that's not surprising. Yeah. But anytime someone grandstands, it's a good chance that they're taking part in the thing that they're <laughs> railing against. <laughs> it's sort of like all, you know, you had a lot of legislators come out against homosexuality and then it turned out mm-hmm. you know, some of them were gay themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a few names I won't name that I think fall into that that category now. I think we should also talk about deep fakes. I think videos are going to become are are becoming so much easier to fake. Um, so you know what is the future of porn when it's hard to tell what's real and what's not? Well, and so there was recently a game called Cyberpunk's 2077, and one of the main characters is modeled after and voiced by Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. And one of the features of the game is you can have sex with basically whoever you want in the world, except Keanu Reeves, because everybody else in the world is like fictional, right? Uh, <laughs> and of course, one of the first things people did was modify the game so they could have sex with Keanu Reeves. <laughs> so there was a very entertaining press release that came out from the company asking people not to modify the game to have sex with <laughs> Keanu Reeves. <laughs> uh, you can't hold people down. And, uh, they want you know, their Keanu. There's the Lucy Liu bots in Futurama where uh, Fry discovers that he can uh, create sex bots, a sex bot of Lucy Liu and just make out with it all the time. <laughs> this is something that like has the reality to become real in the next few years is you've got virtual representations of real people, kind of like we're talking about with with the holodeck. And you were kind of, we were texting about this and you were kind of imagining these like corporate tie-ins with movies and TV. Mm-hmm. Like where it becomes like a like an in-app purchase. Like you're on Netflix <laughs> watching, you know, watching a movie and it's like, do you want to upgrade, you know, <laughs> send it over to your VR headset? You're watching Lord of the Rings and you get a little pop-up ad. It's like, would you like to have sex with Elrond? Because uh, Hugo Weaving's on hard financial times. So you hit yes, you put on your VR headset and all of a sudden you're you're getting busy with the Lord of the Elves and of Rivendell. Look at all these celebrities on Cameo that are like willing to do all these shout outs for a couple dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Look, man, people <laughs> people will do anything for money. I don't I don't think it's that far fetched. <laughs> well, I mean, you look at OnlyFans, you have you have this site where you can subscribe to people who put up like sexy videos or something Mm -hmm. and you know they're making lots of money why wouldn't they license themselves to vr yeah it's uh it's it's weird and they may regret it well it's weird from my perspective they may regret it but you know why not and even if they don't what would stop someone from you know taking the videos that they're posting and turning that into a vr using you know deep fake technology it feels like that the technology is it's it's at a place where like people are going to start to take people's likenesses anyway. Mm-hmm. So the sort of like licensing ability, like the window is closing on that because for a lot of celebrities, like that stuff's going to be up there anyway, whether they license it or not. 
So how do you control it? Once your likeness is out in the world and it's being sort of replicated and programmed, how are we going to confirm that things are real? And I just wanted to point out that I think that the answer is blockchain. So, so Angelina Jolie would have a, a blockchain identifier. So you know mm-hmm. that you're having virtual sex with the actual Angelina Jolie. Exactly. Or her assistant. So yeah, exactly. So if you're, <laughs> if you're like a low-level B-list celebrity, you, you know, have your blockchain version of your content that you're selling. So people know they can buy the authentic thing if they want to. Not some, not some like Kmart ripoff. <laughs> Angelina Schmoli. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and I think one of the things that we're finding is sex is really just the start. What people really want is intimacy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have like second life where people have created relationships or mm-hmm. like MMORPGs. People have met fallen in love and gotten married in World of Warcraft, and that's translated into a, a real-life relationship. You know, and I think Steven Soderbergh had a movie that came out, well, now it's been a while. <laughs> it's probably been 10 or 15 years, called The Girlfriend Experience, mm-hmm. which starred a porn star, Sasha Gray. And it was all about, you know, this. it's essentially a prostitute, but instead of just the sex, it's the whole relationship that the person was paying for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, paying the paying to act like your girlfriend. Yeah. And, and give you that intimacy that you may be having a hard time getting uh, uh, elsewhere. I definitely think that like that as sex becomes much more ingrained in in everyone's daily life and it becomes so much more abstracted from reality that people will crave more human connection. Mm-hmm. And that will be a byproduct of it. So so one thing I've wondered about is so right now things seem to be pretty vanilla in that the sex still involves humans mm-hmm. uh, virtually at mm-hmm. <laughs> what stage are, you know, are things going to start getting really weird? <laughs> you know, like oh, unicorns? Yeah. unicorns or tentacles or, you know, just sort of like Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Hey, you could, it could, you know, th- things have the potential to, to get really strange. When we eventually meet aliens, they're going to be like way less strange than anything that than the, the stuff that we're having sex with online. <laughs> if you have sex with an interdimensional alien, can you travel through dimensions with them while you're having sex with them? Does it become like sexual Stargate? That is the ultimate. The ultimate. Uh, that's the dream, right? So, um, Dave, what, would virtual sex count as infidelity? You know, you asked me this question, and I think it really comes back to your relationship and the the rules that you set up within your relationship. So it would vary from relationship to relationship. I personally think it would, but I could conceive of relationships where that is not the case. So what is what is the ethical difference between VR sex and masturbation? Are they the same thing? I don't know. I mean, one seems like the logical endpoint of the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess my point is that how real is it, right? If you can program your neighbor, you know, that seems ethically more fraught than uh, <laughs> Keanu. <laughs> so, there, you know, the, there's potential positive and negative byproducts of this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what if virtual sex led to a decrease in rape or mm-hmm. in sex trafficking or in child sex trafficking? 
what if it but but it could also lead you know to a decrease in intimacy and births and personal connection like mm-hmm. it really has the capability of transforming society in really interesting ways um and I don't really know if we know where where it's going to go. So going back to Stargate, <laughs> which we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So there's a race of aliens called the Asgard, which uh, essentially have been posing as Norse gods on Earth through mm-hmm. the millennia. And of course, their supreme commander is Thor. <laughs> but they're... <laughs> They're the classic, like they 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 project themselves as like big warriors, but in person they're these little gray, sort of the classic aliens, right, with the big yeah. eyes and they're short and gray and kind of oily looking. And it turns out that they stopped having sexual reproduction like tens of thousands of years in the past, and they've been sustaining their race through cloning and are getting to the point where they're running into issues with like copy fidelity and. They have to re. They have to research and relearn how to get their their race back to a point where they can sexually reproduce. I mean, that kind of seems like the the really far future endpoint of what the, the way things might get if we eschewed personal intimacy in favor of you know non non reproductive sex in all cases. I see a scenario in the near future where we might have to have just a big cultural conversation around the role of sex in our lives. Mm-hmm. I think that we said earlier in this episode, we're at the precipice of a new sexual revolution. And I think in a lot of ways, it's about our ability to admit what role that plays in our life. There's shame and mm-hmm. guilt and hiding and people living sort of dual lives split between their internet persona and their real life persona. And I think what I would hope is in the ne- you know next couple of decades that people just start to be more real about who they are and what mm-hmm. they like and being yeah. their full selves. And I think that that could mitigate a lot of those problems. All right. So um, good conversation today. I'm glad Brahman joined us. Yes. Brought her deep knowledge of Picard. Next week, we're going to talk about plagues then and now. That should be fun. We just, uh, we're emerging out of uh, a modern plague. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm like ready to party. I'm like, oh, yeah. I like, want to go to the Once movies. I hit that two week mark after the, after the <laughs> vaccine, I was like, mask is off. Let's go to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a crazy summer. And on that note, my friend, I am middle aged Garfield eating gluten free lasagna. And I'm the Champs-Élysées. And this has been Planet of the Meerkats. Farewell. Planet of the Meerkats is produced by Neil Fries and David Garrison, and our theme music is by Tawny Frogmouth.